Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Welcome everyone to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today I'm speaking to Rich Rogers. Rich is a consultant who is based in Sydney, Australia, with experience of working with teams all around the world. He's a regular conference speaker and also a writer, including a monthly Q&A column on his website where he interviews a different figure from the world of testing each month. And this summer, he released a book called Changing Times, Quality for Humans in the Digital Age, which is available on LeanPub. Welcome to the podcast, Rich. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. And also, it's worth saying this is definitely the first time we've recorded this, isn't it, Rich? Yeah, yeah, we definitely haven't uh, started the interview and then realised it wasn't recording and then had to start again. Yeah, we're going to talk about user experience at some point. One element of user experience is your recording tool should make sure it tells you if you're talking and you've not pressed record yet. (laughs) Oh dear, oh dear. I blame the time difference because the area of the world where you're from, it's always slightly inconvenient for one party or the other to have a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, we're sort of opposite ends of the day. So um, if I'm talking to somebody in the UK, it's always tricky to find uh, a suitable time. I guess one of the good things is that we have this technology that allows us to communicate across the world. And there's more and more technology all around us these days, particularly with a shift towards mobile and tablet usage and growth of the Internet of Things. What is it, do you think, about the growth of technology that's changing how we define quality? Um, I just think it's that technology is so intertwined in our lives now. So much of what we do is dependent on technology. We, Because we use so much technology in our day-to-day lives, we're more aware of what we like and what we don't like. And I guess there's, there's kind of much more visibility of technology. We hear about new products all the time through news channels and social media. People are even able to show us you know, new apps that, they've, that they like um, on their phones. Everything's very portable, very mobile. So we all um, get a lot of exposure to, that, to technology and we get a lot of exposure to you know, new features. So based on that, we sort of build up our, our demands and our, our impressions of what we'd like to, to have in our technology. And I think it's, um, it's probably worth saying that the, you know, the balance of power has probably shifted um, away from the companies who provide technology and, and to us as customers. We, we don't have to put up with mediocre technology in the way we, we used to. We can always switch to something different. We can always uh, place greater demands on the companies who provide technology. So as customers, we're in a very powerful position now. Yeah, we certainly have a bag full of choice and you now have some of those choices yourself. For those of you who are listening for the first time, let me explain what we're doing here. Rich is a castaway on a desert island, and he's been allowed to take five records with him to this desert island to best represent what music means to him and what makes him happy. Rich, what's your first selection today? So the first one I've chosen is a track called Get Up Off Our Knees, which is by the House Martins. And I'm showing my age, going back to the mid-1980s with this one. The first album that I really bought and listened to intensively London Nail Hole 4 by The House Martins. I still think it's a great album. I still listen to it from time to time. It had a big influence on my life. It influenced my politics, um, influenced my taste in music over the years. I had that sort of uh, poppy indie sound, which, you know, I've listened to a lot of bands like that over the years now. But also uh, Paul Heaton, the lead singer of The Beautiful Beautiful South and The House Martins, he is a Sheffield United fan. And um, I was kind of inspired to start following Sheffield United um, around the same time. (laughs) There's lots of influence. House Martins.
That was the House Martins with Get Up Off Our Knees, Rich's first song selection today. And as we're going to talk about quality today, let's start with an incredibly broad question for you. What is quality to you? Yeah, and um, look, I think uh, this is a a difficult question for a lot of people to answer. And um, I think because of that, that's maybe one of the reasons why people don't talk about quality that much, because it's so kind of um, nebulous a term. In writing the book, I came up with a definition of quality, which is that quality is a subjective and variable impression of a product or service. Uh, instinctively reassessed and recast with each interaction. So, you know, it's just recognising that quality is unique to each of us and it also changes according to many different factors, which might include our emotions and our reactions to other things uh, in our day-to-day lives. So um, I thought it was important to build a human kind of story into the book. And here's a story about um, a journalist called Kim and we see how her life is affected by technology but also how other factors in, in, in her day-to-day life affect her perception of technology, how her mood changes. And I do think it's really important um, when we're talking about quality, we're talking about people, we're talking about the, the person using a product. We can get a bit carried away with the technology and the tools that we use, but ultimately none of that really matters if we aren't thinking about the person who's going to use the technology or product. Yeah, it's really interesting that you capture that interaction within your view of quality because if we are building beautiful software, it doesn't mean anything if it's not doing the thing that the customer needs it to do. And that view of the customer is often a difficult one to get heard during the development process. Do you think that testers have a bigger role than most to represent that voice? Yeah, I think um, obviously there's been a a move towards making quality more of a a shared subject. And obviously it it makes very little sense to to test quality. And I never really understood that. Um, I don't see how testing something changes its quality at all. Um, I think there was always a link between testing and quality because it was probably the first time in a lot of projects that people actually thought about quality. I do think that testers can play an important role. There's a lot of things that can be done to assess quality after something's been deployed or put into production. Um, but testers can represent that customer voice and can be kind of customer advocates. But in order to do that, they really do have to have um, a clear sense of the purpose of whatever they're testing. It's an important part of the testing role, but it's it's not necessarily a tester's job to be the, the gatekeeper of quality or anything like that. It's, it's certainly something that I, I think testers should give a lot of thought to, particularly what quality means in their context. Okay, and we'll talk a bit more about customers after we hear about your second song choice. Okay, so the second song I've chosen is Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses. Um, so this was a you know really important time in my life, uh, the summer of 1990, which was... You know, for, for those who were of a certain age around that time, it was a, it was a fantastic summer. It was a hot summer. There was all this great music coming out of Manchester. For me, I just finished my, my GCSEs. I'd finished school. So I was in that really exciting time of life. And um, it's just a, a record that brings back a lot of really good memories from that. was the Stone Roses with Fool's Gold. And we were talking before that about customers and customer experience, which is something that you've got a bit of a background in. Talking about customers is a very broad thing to do. I mean, we often have things like user personas that can help a bit, but how do we avoid making sweeping generalizations when we talk about the customer? 
Yeah, that's um, that's a really important point that there is, of course, no such thing as the customer. Um, I think I used the, the phrase of the customer uh, in our last session, and um, I sort of mentally sort of kicked myself for saying it. <laughs> there is there is no such thing as a customer. You know, our, our needs and likes are all subjective and variable, and mine could be different to yours. And if you ask me again tomorrow, they could be different again. So it's really difficult, difficult to pin down you know, what, what a customer may want from a product. And I think um, the key thing really is to try and spend time with people who really use technology. Now, if, if that can be the people who use a product that you're working on, and if they are the actual customers, that's fantastic. But if that's not possible, which isn't always the case, you know, it's not always easy to get direct access to, to people's customers. It's worth paying attention just to, just to reactions to things more generally. Um, one thing I enjoyed doing whilst I was writing the book was listening to people's conversations about technology, just you know, listening to people at work saying how they, they discovered a great app and somebody else might have an opinion on it and the differences in those opinions. But also you know, observing how people use technology, um, particularly different generations. So I think about, for example, how my dad uses his iPad to do certain things. And then I watch how my kids use an iPad and the, you know, the, the different ways they're drawn to, to, to the way technology works. Um, I think it's really worth paying attention to those observations about, about you know, how we use things. Yeah, any way that you can get an objective view of what it is that you're building, it can only be beneficial because you, you're once you've you've got the blinkers on, you're working on it, you, you can't really see objectively what's going on. So even if that comes down to something like dog fooding, so letting other people in your company who aren't quite so close to the product use it, the further away you get from the point of creation, the, the more objective the views are that you get. And that's one of the really interesting things. You mentioned Kim's story in Changing Times. That, that was what I really liked about the book is that you get that empathetic view of what's going on. You get her story of her day-to-day life of waking up and trying to do something on her phone and her phone's not quite working the way it should. And that's the sort of view we don't get as we're sitting in isolation in our clean, nicely built test environments going, oh, this all works a treat. But as soon as you introduce that to the real world, that's where the interesting stories start happening. Yeah, and, and of course, all, all our lives are messy and the way we do things is a, is a bit awkward and we get interrupted and... All those things happen um, around us, and we tend to forget that sometimes when we're working on development, and maybe we have some requirements or we have user stories that sort of neatly describe what should happen. And of course, life isn't like that, and it's important to, to remember the you know the, those, those sort of emotional responses we all have, and the way our lives interrupt us and, and affect us, and to, to to factor that into to the work that we do, and to consider the way real people actually use things. And we're going to talk a bit more in a couple of minutes about a model that you've come up with that helps to define what quality is. But before that, can we hear what your third song is? The third song I picked, I would say this is probably still uh, my favourite song of all time. I remember the first time I heard this, Unfinished Sympathy by Massive Attack. I was kind of blown away. It was 1991 it was released. And the, the layers of sound, the incredible depth as a sound was was really hit me and even now you know i i can i can put that on through the headphones and you could you know you could imagine it was released yesterday it's a, it's a it's an old track but it just sounds absolutely fantastic and you know i'd, I'd highly recommend to anyone who hasn't heard it to, to, to put the headphones on and turn it up full because it's it's a beautiful beautiful track
So that was Massive Attack with Unfinished Sympathy. And we've been spending the last couple of sections talking about how important it is to consider humans within the software we're building, so effectively human-centered design. And you came up with a model of quality that's very much based around that, named the three dimensions of quality. And I'll link to that in the show notes, and also it's available in your book. Can you explain to us what those three dimensions were that you came up with? Yeah, so um, obviously there's, there's a bit of a play, of, play on words here with uh, 3D, three dimensions. So there's three words all starting with the letter D that I think are important dimensions that affect quality and affect the, the customer's perception of a product. So the first one is desirable. Um, are we providing a product which gives people what they want, allows them to do what they, what they need to do, something which they enjoy using, also whether it's visually appealing. The second dimension is dependable providing a product which people can trust, which people can rely on. You know, is it there when they need it? Is it secure and safe for them to use? Those are all things that would affect whether it's dependable. And then the last bit is whether it's durable, uh, by which I mean kind of long-lasting rather than just the, the, the durability in terms of its robustness. You know, are we providing a product which will continue to be valuable over a prolonged period? Is it well-supported? Can it be maintained and updated? These are the kind of things that would affect whether something is durable. And I, and I kind of give in the book examples of various products and various um, technologies that, that play into, into those dimensions and also into the quality aspects. And so each of the dimensions has a number of associated words, which I call quality aspects, and they're things that affect our perception. They don't always apply. They don't apply to every product that we use. Um, they don't apply to every person that uses them, but they're, they're kind of things that could, could have an effect on, on the, the impression we form. And so when you talk about something like durability, are you also talking about the durability of the, the code of the application, like the maintainability? Does that come under durable? Um, yes, yeah, that's certainly part of it. I think um, in order for something to be durable to the person using it, it must be something um, we, we can maintain in the background. And I think it's important to point out that the, the words I use are quite different to a lot of the quality characteristics and quality criteria that people might be more familiar with. And actually, that was quite deliberate. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at um, some, of the, some of the words that we used in, for example, the ISO quality characteristics. And there are, there are things like interoperability, resource utilization, functional appropriateness. And I just thought, well, these, these, these words might mean something to us when we're working in software development, but they don't reflect how real people talk about products. If I, if I speak to my dad about the problem he's having with his computer, he doesn't say, you know, um, I didn't find it very functionally appropriate. He says, <laughs> I, I just didn't find that useful. So I, I'll, I'll use the word useful instead of functionally appropriate. And I'm, I'm trying to come up with a list of words that are meaningful and, and are and are human language. Mm. And so whilst, whilst though the sort of ethics, if you like, that, we, that we're all very familiar with are still very important, I'm certainly not discounting them, discarding them or anything like that. I think it's really useful to think about quality in those very uh, those sort of simple words and, and maybe use those simple words when we talk about quality in our organisations because you can guarantee that's how customers will, will talk about it. Yeah, and I think one of the real benefits of that is it gets away from this idea that quality has to be something that just the testers care about because you're using these everyday words that everyone can associate to. These are aspects that people need to think of throughout the development process. You know, Quality aspects are not necessarily directly aligned to individual like test cases it's like we need to always be thinking about these things all the time yeah um absolutely and, and i one thing i've tried to try to do in my current role here with iag in sydney is 
to at the, at the sort of inception of, of projects to talk to stakeholders and to talk to the, the various sort of agile teams that are going to be working on developing something about what what quality means in that context. So we'll we'll consider the kind of people who may who may use a particular product or who may use a particular feature, and then we'll say well, what, what might be important to them. And we actually do a kind of scoring exercise where we take some of these quality criteria or quality aspects and we and we rank them and we say which are the most important to us. And that that sort of frames the the development and it gets it, it gets everybody you know aligned with with thinking about what could be important and you know we can, we can refer back to that throughout the whole development lifecycle. And we'll talk a bit more about this model in a moment because I'm really interested in how you even come up with something like this to start with. But before we do that, it's time for your penultimate song selection, Richard. Okay, so the, the fourth one I've chosen, a little bit different. It's, um, it, it's a dance track. It's um, Chicane Saltwater. I actually, in the, in, from about 2000 through to 2003, I had a period where I, uh, I did some DJing and I worked in um, a bar come nightclub in Bristol called Elbow Room. And we had a, a nightclub called Filter and I really enjoyed DJing and um, I really got into you know, the, some of the tracks I was playing. Some of it was kind of you know, drum and bass stuff and that, that very sort of Bristol sound. But there was also room for this kind of music, this, I guess, more sort of trance and stuff. And The Cane were a band that I really, or an act that I really, I really liked. And Saltwater in particular reminds me of um, 1999 and 2000, the time of the millennium. And um, we had an eclipse in the UK in 99 and uh, the BBC used this as their sort of theme for that programme. So it's, it sort of evokes a lot of memories of, of, of that time for me. chicane with saltwater and before that we were talking about your model rich three dimensions of quality how do you even start coming up with something like that because it seems so inspired to me the fact that it is simultaneously a staggeringly simple it seems like someone should have put these words together before and yet there's so much you can derive from it where do you where do you even begin uh that's very kind of you to say that i mean i I, um i think um as we said before with the with the different quality criteria and um, quality characteristics that people are familiar with i guess i i was i was thinking about how i could use those but then i also wanted to relate it back to this kind of the kind of human side of quality a lot of my my thoughts are influenced by my time working for access hq in sydney and access hq are a consulting company the hq stands for human quality and it was a it was a, a theme of philosophy that was developed over the last few years. And I really like this sort of concept of human quality. So I wanted to come up with some ideas that would that would help to, to frame that. So I started with the sort of more traditional you know, quality criteria and, and gradually started to evolve them into some different words. And it, and it has gone through a lot of iterations. It's been through a number of iterations at work, and we've talked about it a lot at work. Um, but also, I've had I've been very lucky to have some fantastic reviewers from the the testing community who've who've kind of um, you know picked it apart and suggested different things and helped to shape it to to where it is now. I think the, the 
three dimensions were pretty well established, but the words around the edge, the aspects took some time to evolve. Mm. That's one of the best things about the test community is the fact that people are so open to review, suggest, support the work that people are doing. Obviously, some of the figures in the world of testing can be fairly vocal and fairly adamant in what they believe is their way of doing things. And I certainly won't ask you to name names, but did you did you ever come across a situation where someone had a very specific piece of feedback or a view on how you should do this that you disagreed with and where you had to put your foot down and say, I'm going to do it my way? Yeah, I mean, you know, through, throughout writing a book, that is one of the one of the biggest challenges you come up with is if you have a number of reviewers, you're going to get conflicting responses. So, for example, just the idea of having a story in the book and not making it purely a kind of a technical book for some of the reviewers that went really well, and um, you know they they, they they liked the idea of the story and um, you know, they, they liked the sort of attention to detail and the the building up of the character of, of explaining what what Kim was like and you know the sort of person that she was. Other people just said to me, "Well, that's just that's just irrelevant to me. I, you know, I just want to move on to the next part of the, of the, of the technical stuff." So, I, I, at some point, you have to just go with your with your instincts and think about what you're what you're setting out to do. And um, you, know, you, you can't please everybody. It's you know, it, it, much like the subject of quality. You can't please everybody with a book. You have to you have to stick to your instincts and um, make sure that you get across the point. Yeah, be true to yourself and make it your vision. And that's certainly something that comes through very strongly. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the book. It's one of the, it, like you said, that, the story that runs through it really gives it its identity, I think. It's one of the more remarkable books I've read in a little while, and I'm not saying that lightly. Thanks. Thank you, Neil. You know, that, 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 that's really good feedback. I mean, the, um, you know, I, I was conscious that it was, was a gamble to do a, a book that's part fiction and part non-fiction. I don't think it's a very common thing to do. Um, it won't be everybody's cup of tea, but I hope that the story really does help convey the, the messages of the book. And we're going to ask you for your own book selection for the Desert Island in a minute. But before that, let's round off the business of your song selection. What's your final song choice? Yeah, so this, the last one is Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine. So I wouldn't have ever picked this until probably um, seven years ago, almost exactly seven years ago, uh, on my, the day my daughter was born. So I can clearly remember my first child being born and, and the sort of feeling that generated. And I remember sort of walking back through the hospital ward and it just, that song just popped into my head. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was very happily bouncing along through, through the maternity ward singing Walking on Sunshine. And so it's a song that I've had, you know, Sort of very fond feelings about ever since. That was Katrina and the Waves is Walking on Sunshine and a brilliant sunshiny way to finish the day on this desert island for us. While you're sitting here listening to your five songs, Rich, you also have the choice of a book to take with you. So it could either be a book from the world of testing or just a general fiction or non-fiction book that you like to read. What do you think would keep you company nicely on the island? I'm kind of, you know, I'm imagining that as I'm stuck on this island, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do great I mean, if I was uh, if I if I was to be reading about testing, I'd probably be reading um, Gerald Weinberg's Gerald Weinberg's Perfect Software, which 
for me is the, the greatest book about testing. But I think given that um, I don't know how long I'm going to be there and I want something to keep me occupied, I'm going to take Lord of the Rings because it's just, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great book to read over and over again. And, you know, it's um, very lengthy. On the show that we totally didn't rip off, Desert Island Discs, they always give everyone the complete works of Shakespeare and the Bible for free because they just assume it will stop people from picking it who might pick it otherwise. I think Perfect Software is a book we should probably just give everyone for free on Tessa's Island Discs because, yeah, it, it's such an essential part of understanding the testing process and the development process that, yeah, it should really be a freebie for everybody. But The Lord of the Rings is your selection for the bookshelf on the Desert Island. Yes, Lord of the Rings. And it's been an absolute pleasure, Rich, to talk to you 1.2 times. <laughs> Thanks to the recording snafu at the beginning. <laughs> if people would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, uh, Rich R Testing on Twitter, um, and richrtesting.com is also my uh, my blog website. So I'm always very happy to hear from people, and uh, particularly if anybody wants to discuss some of the subjects that we've talked about today and some of the subjects in the book around quality. And 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 I'm, one thing I'm really intrigued to hear is whether people. Um, have found ways to use the three dimensions of quality model in shaping their testing ideas. I'm really hoping that you know, some, of, some of the words there will help people to come up with great testing ideas and um, you know, perhaps even some, some sort of sessions focused around some of these words. So if anybody um, has any insights into that, I'd love to hear about it. So have you got anything exciting coming up in terms of events and conferences in the coming months? No, nothing kind of planned in terms of, in terms of conferences. I've been so sort of focused on on the book this year the emphasis has really been on writing and I, and I must say actually you know my my preferred uh, mode of uh, communication is writing I'm, I'm i'm not that comfortable a public speaker but um you know i i will give it a go but i i, I prefer to write so maybe maybe the, the next year there might be another book on the way i think we certainly share that preference for writing and i mentioned that you've got this monthly column called q a on your website how's it been for you today to be on the receiving end of the questions Ah. Oh been a great experience um it's it's um it's always interesting preparing for and thinking about you know how you're going to approach an interview and um i you know i, I personally get a lot from those those q a's that i do on the blog i mean i think the um the answers that people come up with are absolutely brilliant and um I, i've learned so much from the from the guests that i've come to if you like through through the q a so yeah it's been it's been an interesting experience being on the other side of it well, it's been a pleasure and I probably owe you a return favour sometime. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> and thank you very much to you at home for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can get hold of us on Twitter at Testers Island or you can access our previous shows and our Spotify playlist on www.testersislanddiscs.com. And one final thanks to you, Rich, for taking part today. And thank you, Neil. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. See you all again soon. Bye-bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island 